0: Today, then, starting on the section Al Ajiz Anisom Likibarin Aumaradin <laughs> La <laughs> Yurja Buru Fainahu Yotamuan Hulikuli Yomin Miskeen. That somebody who is incapable of fasting due to old age or an illness whereby recovery is not expected, then a poor person is fed on his behalf for every day uh, that he misses. So we've been going through the different sections The different rulings, firstly we spoke about the types of people who have to fast, the conditions that make it obligatory for a person to have to fast, and then we've been talking about the exceptions going through them. There is a chart I came across the other day, done by one of the students, graduates from the University of Medina, Musa Shalim, and it's a good chart. So you can make note of this chart. It's taken from the books of fiqh and it summarizes it nicely. So as we said, coming on to this topic now, that a person who has to fast must be a Muslim, that was number one, must be of the age of puberty and adult, baligh number two, must have his Aql, must be aqil. Must be resident, not traveling. muqeem Must be able. Mustati' or qadir. Must have the ability. And then, there is a sixth you can add on, which is asalimu minal mawani' is free from anything preventing them from fasting. So, if you're gonna make a chart then, and you should make this chart, A4 piece of paper sideways, landscape view. So in the landscape view across the top, what you need to write down, spaced out, are these six Muslim uh, baligh, must be a Muslim Must be, number two, the age of puberty Number three, that he must be Aqil Sane Number four, that he is Muqeem, resident Number five, that he is Qadir Is able to fast And number six, that he is min al Mawani'a That he is free from any hindrance in fasting. So you should have six categories or six things going across the top of your page. First one, these are the six conditions to have to fast. Muslim, of the age of puberty, sane, resident, able, free from any hindrance. Everybody got those six categories. So now, going downwards now, under each category, we're going to draw some arrows and some details. Under the first category, the Muslim category, what, therefore, is the exception to that then, or uh, not the exception? what is what is the opposite that would then prevent this obligation being as it is, that you are Kafir? So Kafir is excluded, an arrow coming out of that your exception or your opposition to that is kafir. So the fasting of a kafir will not be accepted. Even if all five of the others were in place, if number one, he happens to fall down into being kafir, gone, it will not be accepted. Under number two then, you get the idea now. Number two must be of the age of puberty. Arrow coming down, what's the problem going to be then? Or not the problem, but what's going to be the situation where it doesn't apply, under the age of puberty. That's going to be the exception there. So if, even if all the other five were in place, but in this number two, he's under the age of puberty, it's not obligatory. Number three, that he's sane. Arrow coming down, what's going to... That he is insane. That a person doesn't have his mental faculties. That would then drop the obligation upon him. Number four, he's resident, if he's arrow coming down, traveler. A person is a traveler, then it's not obligatory upon him. Those first four, simple enough. Muslim, so what is the opposite there where it doesn't work then? Kafir, kufr. Baligh, the opposite where it doesn't work then or it's not uh, obligatory then. The صغير, the صبي, the one who is not at the age of puberty. The العاقل, the غير العاقل, the one who doesn't have his mental faculties then. The مقيم, the one who is therefore opposite to that. The traveler doesn't have to fast. This next category, you're going to need a few arrows. This next category is talking about the one who is Al Qadir, the one who is capable of fasting. There are five situations when a person would not be capable of fasting. So, who can tell us some of those then? Somebody give us an example of a situation that an arrow can come down off that you are not in the category of being capable now. Sick? Correct. Correct. Somebody who is sick, somebody who is ill, is therefore a category who is not capable. So one arrow coming down from that, an issue there is somebody who is ill. Could be temporary, could be permanent. The rulings are going to be different, but here we're just talking about the exceptions here. Go on, over there in the corner. Travelling, but we already mentioned that one. You're right, but that was in the previous one. And if you're travelling, you could still be capable though. Here we're talking about when you're not capable of fasting. When it... Harmed, yeah that's the one that we just said, you're right. When somebody's ill you might get harmed. Pregnancy. No, correct. Pregnancy. Pregnancy can be put into that alongside breastfeeding. Breastfeeding and pregnancy can take away your ability to fast. So that would be an arrow coming down. So far, one arrow coming down from ability section is... Illness, another arrow coming down from the ability section. Pregnancy and breastfeeding, both of those take away your ability. What else can take away your ability? Old age. Ruhhis al-Sheikh al-Kabir. The old age, and you're no longer able, your ability's gone. That is an arrow that comes down from the ability section. You can lose your ability through old age. What else? That, you're right. You're right, but maybe we'll bring that onto the next category. Mm. Uh, that doesn't make you incapable. If somebody, if a woman was on her period, if she wanted to could she fast, physically, could do. This we're talking about where you can't fast physically. Your ability's gone. You're not able to fast. Your ability to fast is gone. There is one more at least. We've mentioned what so far? Old age, illness, breastfeeding, pregnancy. Those three categories you mentioned. One other category, which is a generalized category, and it's mentioned in the books of fiqh as a ruling, is, I mean, basically you can put it down as emergency situation some emergency situation that arises that renders you incapable of fasting. They sometimes mention in the books of fiqh, you see somebody drowning. So you have to jump into the ocean to save them. As a consequence all that chaos, you're going to end up swallowing water. But because of the emergency, you had to go in, you had to save them. And the situation meant you were no longer capable of fasting. You just couldn't avoid getting water down you when you're in the sea trying to save them they mention that sometimes as an example they may give the example you uh, there's a building on fire a burning building and you're in there coming in and out and you're trying to save the people you have to get some liquids in you you have to do whatever it may be a situation where you're not capable now of fasting in that scenario in the smoke and the heat and the emergency situation the building trying to get people out you can't carry on fasting. You have to come and take a sip and then go back and try to save the next person. For example. So they mention in the books of fiqh extreme or one-off emergency situations that may render you incapable of fasting. So there you have those categories. Four categories then. That would render you incapable. So then you would be allowed to miss. The sixth topic was That you have no hindrance preventing you from fasting. In this category, you'll have the the, uh, woman on the period and postnatal bleeding. Because the woman who's on the period and the postnatal bleeding now has a hindrance preventing her from fasting. That period and the postnatal bleeding makes it impermissible for her to fast. So there's a hindrance upon her to be able to fast What you said is mentioned by the fuqaha You could maybe put it down as an emergency situation The same type of thing But if you are prevented from fasting But how are you going to be prevented from Fasting But how is somebody gonna prevent you from fasting? They have to force feed you. And it's possible, they do mention it. Maybe you're being oppressed by an enemy and they put water down your throat. They do this, they do that. So you're in a situation where you're not able to fast. So these are the situations. That chart is basically the definition chart of who has to fast and when you have excuses or reasons not to fast, or when it's not obligatory upon you. So when do you have to fast? If you are Muslim, you are of the age of puberty, you have your mental faculties, you're resident, you're able and free from hindrance, the top six. When is it not applicable? You have license. For example, in the first category, kufr. In that case, it's not applicable, meaning it won't be accepted from you. In the second category, if you're not of the age of puberty, it's not obligatory then. Third category, you don't have your mental faculties, not obligatory then. Fourth category, you're not resident, you're traveling, again, not obligatory then. You have the license to miss. In the ability category, if you're old in age, as we're going to talk about now, that's the topic today. Old, uh, Old in age, or you have some illness, or you have pregnancy or breastfeeding for the woman or the emergency situation that arises, in all of those your ability is taken away from you. So you're allowed to miss and the rulings of what you have to do differs for each one. And then the final section was the hindrance that you don't have anything hindering you from fasting and in that category it would be the the period and the postnatal bleeding. So today then this section here, Ibn Taymiyyah, talks a little bit about the elderly in age and those who are ill where recovery is not expected. Because remember we said a person who is ill is two types of illnesses. One illness where you are expected to recover, in which case you're allowed to miss at the time and then when you do recover you make them up. The second type of illness where you are not expected to ever recover and therefore you are not expected to ever be able to fast and therefore you just feed a poor person for every day. The elderly in age, we've done the hadith on that in the previous courses of the years. Ruh Kisali Sheikh Al-Kabir An وَأَن يُطْعِمَا كُلِّ يَوْمِ الْمِسْكِينَةِ That it's been, the exception has been given for somebody old in age to miss the fasting and to feed a poor person for every day. So here, Ibn Taymiyyah says, (laughs) هذا القسم هو الذي يعجز عن الصوم في الحال وَلَا يُرُجَى قُدْرَاتُهُ عَلَيْهِ فِي الْمَآلِ He says now we're talking about the category where somebody is incapable at the time to fast and it is not expected that they will ever have capability in the future to be able to fast. They are incapable at the time and it is not expected that they will ever regain capability in the future. Like somebody who is old in age or somebody who has some type of chronic illness. For example the elderly man or woman So the elderly who are not capable of fasting Remember just because you're old Doesn't mean you haven't got ability Somebody could be 90 years old But mashallah With their health and everything They can still do it So it's about old age and frailty Where your ability has gone Or somebody who is ill and it is not expected they will recover, meaning they have some illness that there is no cure for. The doctor tells them, you're just going to be like this now for the rest of your life. You're going to be on this medication for the rest of your life. You're going to be on these injections for the rest of your life. That's just how it is. There is no cure. You're just going to be like this for the rest of your life now. So it's not expected they'll ever recover. Ibn Taymiyyah mentions a type of condition where a person is unable to go for any given periods of time without liquids. Certain people have a condition they have to drink on a regular basis they cannot their bodies cannot manage without water without liquid for any extended period of time so if you have that type of condition you're never going to be able to fast if you have a condition whereby your body requires by necessity liquids every so often cannot do without liquids for lengthy times then you're not going to be able to fast some detailed examples given here of illnesses, but, Or a person who has some uh, difficulty, some illness, some issue, in terms of, that which is related to intimacy, that he must engage in intimacy at every or certain moments, otherwise, I genuinely mentioned here by al Islam, that otherwise it causes some disease or illness to the testicles or to other areas that it requires. He must, at certain intervals, uh, engage in forms of intimacy. So again, If that is the case, we know that is impermissible during fasting, you would not be able to fast. So the point being, if you have some type of illness, and it is constant, and there's no cure to it, that's just how it's going to be for the rest of your life, and it's an illness that prevents you from fasting. Remember again, it's not just about having any illness and you don't have to fast. must be an illness that has some impact upon your fasting and we spoke about that, either it causes you more pain if you fast with that particular illness you have, or it's going to elongate, prolong the recovery time from your illness, with the minor illness, uh, or it causes a burden upon you, a great difficulty upon you in that state. Those types of issues with your illness. But if you have some illness... And you fast and it doesn't really make any difference, you're just lying down in bed, whether you're fasting or not, your illness is not connected to having to have liquids or anything, then in that case there is no reason for you not to be fasting. Illness doesn't equal the permissibility to miss, it's an illness that has some impact with it alongside fasting which then equals the permission to miss. After that, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah goes into some details regarding these illnesses. And in particular, that example of the individual who has the illness linked to intimacy. So then after that section, he then mentions, uh, قَالَ أَصْحَابُنَا لَسْنَا نُرِيدُ al Kabir. أو بالشيخ الكبير والعجوز من بلغ إن ترك الأكل هلك وإنما نريد به من يلحقه في الصيام وإنما يسقط عن هؤلاء الصيام. He now explains what the criteria is for the elderly in age to be able to miss fasting. Is it That somebody has now become old and frail and weak and if they fasted, it would end up causing their death. Is that the criteria for when somebody old is allowed to then stop fasting and just feed? Or is it just somebody old in age, frail and weak, if they try fasting now, it's going to be a real problem upon them and their body and a great burden. It's something that it's not really within their capability now. It's a great burden, great difficulty upon their body. Is that enough to say, okay, you've now reached a level where you can just feed in that case? Or does it have to be at the level of saying, well, if you were to fast, you would die now. In that case, you can miss and just feed. As opposed to somebody saying it's the great difficulty and burden now in this old age. Is that enough or not? enough so which hadith but the hadith didn't clarify the details the hadith just said somebody old in age is allowed to miss and feed a poor person what's the old in age that's being referenced that's the question here he says we don't intend we don't intend the first category we're not saying somebody old in age is only allowed to miss the fasting if they get to a level whereby if they fasted, they would end up dying. Before that level, somebody old in age is going to feel extreme burden and difficulty, extreme hardship upon their body because they're old and frail now, then that is enough as a reasoning now for them to be able to miss and then feed a poor person. And that is in line with لَا يُكَلِّفُ اللَّهُ نَفْسًا إِلَّا وسعها that Allah wa ta'ala does not burden a soul more than it can bear, and, فَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the best of your ability, and the hadith, إِذَا أَمَرْتُكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ If I command you with something, then do to the best of your ability what you're able. That is just regarding those elderly in age and a criteria mentioned for it. Then there are details in the ayat. Where is the ayah in the Quran that talks about this issue of incapability then? In Surah Al-Baqarah, وَعَلَى الَّذِينَ يُطِيقُونَهُ فِدْيَةٌ طَعَامٌ مِسْكِينٌ here, the scholars they mention that the meaning of it is those who are incapable. That those who are incapable, then they are the ones who are allowed to miss. It mentions in some of the explanations of the Mufassirun, يتكلفونه ولا يستطيعونه. Those who could try and burden it, but they can't really do it. Elderly in age, uh, an ill person, people who are trying, but they can't really burden it. They are the ones incapable. So then in that case, they feed the poor person. And who's done the homework regarding feeding the poor person the fidya? So can it be given to non-Muslims as well, that fidya, or is it only for Muslims? You read a fatwa, or what? No, that's oh, this is your own fatwa. No, no, it's online, but wasn't. You are? so generally generally with uh, Islamic finances under the Sharia Baitul Mal etc it is permissible uh, zakat forms to give to non-Muslims it is permissible generally here there are some scholars though some scholars do have a fatwa here they say the fidya should be for Muslims because in the month of Ramadan especially at the time of iftar, then those Muslims are in need. Muslims are in need at the time of iftar, etc. So some of them say it would be suitable to give to Muslims this fidya, and not to non-Muslims. You can give the general charity and everything else, and bring the the hearts of the non-Muslims close to you, but there are fatawa of some scholars saying that this fidya, it's uh, preferred for the Muslims, it's better to give to the Muslims. Does it have to be given every day or in one go or how can it be given? Some of the scholars mention it completely open. Give it any time you want. Beginning of the month, middle of the month, end of the month. Just give it all in one go. Others have specified that it cannot be given prior to the day that it's intended for. So imagine now somebody is uh, old in age. Uh, They can't, and they know they're not going to fast the whole month. They're going to give 30 days worth of fidya. They can't give it the night, uh, uh, two or three days before Ramadan even begins yet. Because right now, what if they die before Ramadan even starts? Before Ramadan even starts, is anything obligatory upon them yet? In fact, before the first day of Ramadan finishes, is anything obligatory upon them yet? So some scholars say, you've got to allow the day to finish... For the obligation to become active upon you in the first place For that day So you can give the fidya after the day it's intended for Not before it Because before it, it's not obligatory yet Once you've missed the day Now it's become applicable for you to have to give the fidya for that day Before you've missed the day, it's not applicable So some scholars say you can only give it after the intended day Which means you could give it at the end of the month all of the fidya could be given in one go at the end of the month. And then uh, that, feeds, that feeds the poor people. It can be one person. You feed them with 30 meals. Or it could be multiple people. It could be different people. But that it feeds them for every day. Uh, a kilogram and a half or the figures that they mention. The amount of food a day's meal for that person. Doesn't have to be in the month of Ramadan. It can be afterwards. But some scholars do say it is not appropriate to delay it to a long term. After Ramadan, it can be still given. They mention that the feeding of the people, but it should not be delayed to a long period. That is not classed as a meal. They say the meal of the people of the land, the meal of the people of the land, you're always going to have the staple foods, either potatoes, rice, uh, wheat. Those are the types of things they talk about, the staple foods as we call them. That's what you would make the fidya from, from the staple foods of the lands. Dates may be a part of the staple food of a land, but I don't think any land is going to have dates as a meal, just by itself. It's not a meal by itself. Anything else? Any other questions on anything else about Ramadan since this is going to be the final session this year? There was going to be one next week, but now next week there is the a small event which is going to happen in Bradford. The small uh, uh, couple of lectures beginning at 7.30 p.m. Abu Ayal is going to come as well. 7.30 p.m. till Maghrib time. And then there's an iftar, a communal iftar gonna be held in the masjid as well. So next Saturday, that is gonna take place in Bradford from 7.30 p.m. So this lesson tonight now will be the final lesson this year uh, for uh, up until after Ramadan, I mean. So anything else? Any other questions or anything else then? The chart, the category of being Qadir, of being able, how many offshoots were there to that? When are you not able if you are old in age, if you are ill, if you are pregnant or breastfeeding, and if you have a or an emergency situation? In that case, we are going to just round it off on that for this year. Just some small readings. It's impossible to do everything. If you're going to read this properly, it would be two years, three years. Carry on from now till next Ramadan. We'll get to the end of it. Hmm. True dawn. That we've done many a time. I'm sure there'll be many who can give the fatwa on that one. How do you differentiate between the true dawn and the false dawn? So there are different signs for each. In the false dawn, the light appears. I mean, initially it's going to be pitch black. It's nighttime. Then some light starts to appear. The first light that starts to appear appears vertically going upwards into the sky. And they mention as well, it doesn't join to the ground. That it's like there's a gap and then light is further up from the sky going up into the sky. But it's vertical. Then that light after a while disappears and it becomes pitch black again. So you know that was not Fajr. Then the light appears again for a second time. This time it comes out horizontally across the horizon and keeps... Increasing doesn't disappear now. That second one, you know, is the true dawn. Fajr times here are estimates anyway. So there isn't going to be, like the, I'm talking about the calendars. The calendars are estimated times. You know, you do the best you can to try and work out where Fajr is going to be. In this country, particularly, if you try and go out, it's rare you're ever really going to be able to work things out. the the cloudy night it's every night. So the estimates anyway. So even amongst the close massages in an area, you might have five minutes here, ten minutes there, five minutes here. It happens with all the timetables of all the mosques. A little bit of a difference isn't a big deal. A small difference here and there isn't a big deal. 5 minutes, 10 minutes, even 15 minutes. If it starts going too much, 20, 25, half an hour, 40, an hour difference to everybody else, and they vastly changed it from their Fajr time the night before Ramadan. The night before Ramadan, they had on their calendar, Fajr enters at uh, 3.55 a.m., first day of Ramadan, their Ramadan calendar suddenly Fajr is entering at 2.55 AM. So now you know they've done that on precaution. So you should not follow that. And it's not permissible to pray Fajr at 2.55 AM in that case. You have to follow the standard routine of where it was. They do that complete change, bring Fajr back by an hour, maybe two hours on the first day of Ramadan. And then as soon as Ramadan goes, from each day, Fajr is pushed back again till, till the sun sunrise. So that is incorrect. You can't follow that timetable to be praying on and to do your suhoor upon, etc. Follow the the guidelines that are accurate for suhoor as a rule of thumb, as a general guideline. General guideline. It's going to be about 100 minutes. From sunrise, from whenever sunrise is, move back to 100 minutes, there or thereabouts. Give or take here and there. That's where it's going to be. The entry time for Fajr, thereabouts, 90 minutes, 100 minutes, 110 minutes, about that much. They put three hours before sunrise, four hours before sunrise. Sunrise these days, five thirty, five 5 o'clock, and their suhoor time ends at 1 a.m. You know you cannot end then, you know you don't have to pray Fajr then, you cannot pray Fajr then. So a woman, she's fasting and her period begins when? In the middle of the day, one day? Alright, so the period begins in the middle of the day. So then what's the ruling upon the woman? Obviously from that moment onwards now she is not fasting, impermissible to fast. She's not fasting from that moment onwards and the period begins. The rest of that day she's not fasting. The consequent days she's not fasting until she purifies. That day though, it began in the middle of the day, you're saying. So what's the ruling on that day? That day is gone because the fasting is ila layl, is up till maghrib. So if a period began in the middle of the day, that day isn't a complete fast. That will be one of the days she makes up. Menstruation, many of the scholars, they say, it has an upper limit of 15 days. That's the opinion of many of the scholars of fiqh. 15 days, they say, is the upper limit of menstruation. Beyond that is not classed as menstrual blood, they say. That is an opinion. And you can distinguish between what is period blood and what is not. And the scholars, they give those in the books of fiqh, what are the distinguishing signs for a woman to determine whether her blood is period blood that is exiting or it is the istihabah, the non-period blood that is exiting. Period blood, they say in the books of fiqh. They mention all of this. This is why they're the deviants and the innovators. They say, you people, the Salafis, you're scholars of period blood. It's in the books of fiqh. This is religion. This is what is in the ahadith, the sahabiyat, the female companions used to go and ask about these issues and they were told about this blood and that blood and put the cloth there and see what happens and all these things. So they say the period blood is thicker, it's a thick type of blood compared to non-period blood which is much lighter. The period blood is a darker red compared to the non-period blood which is a lighter red. The period blood has a specific smell to it, a smell that would not be a pleasant smell to it, whereas non-period blood does not have that type of smell. Those three distinguishing factors the scholars mention, so they say, a woman who's on some problematic type of system and it's continuing to bleed regularly, she can examine the blood to try and determine if that really is period blood or it is non-period blood. On top of that, they say the woman who's in this type of problem where it's carrying on and carrying on, she should look back to her routine. So if that woman had previously a routine, she was on seven days, first week of every month. That was her routine. First week of every month, seven days. Then all of a sudden a month comes along and it's not stopping, it's carrying on after the seven days, 14 days, 20 days, 25 days. Blood's still coming Scholars they say in that situation She knows her routine Is always that first week of every month For the first seven days So now based upon that She can identify That anything beyond that is suspect And you can look at that And check the, the distinguishing factors And typically the rest of that Is not going to be given the ruling of period It's going to be given the ruling of non-period istihada. Also, they say, what if a woman never had any routine? It's always just been random. Random here and there. She's never had a routine. They say, in that case, she can refer to the closest of the female relatives she has. Her sisters, for example, closest available female relatives to ask them of their routines and what occurs. And if they all say to her, for example, all her sisters, that their routine is of seven days, all of them, then she knows that her routine should be somewhere around about that too. You can judge it of your closest female relatives too if you have no other way of judging. So scholars, they mention all of these things. It is unlikely and rare for scholars to say that you can be given the ruling of period for a whole month. That's a very rare opinion. Majority say two weeks is the maximum. Of course, others, they say there is no had to it. It could go beyond that. But typically, in that type of situation, it's going to be a certain time is period, and the rest of the time is known as istihada, which means the woman is just going to make her wudu, her ghusl, everything, pray and fast as normal. So you have to examine that. It's unlikely that the ruling is going to be the whole month was period blood coming. We've done that once before. How, uh, in Bulugh al Maram, in Kitab al Tahara, there's a section on periods and all the rulings about periods. So you can try and find that content and read into Bulug al Maram as well, it gives you all the details. There's a a narration about a person, if he still desires something and the adhan goes off and it's in your hand, you can finish it off. But to say that you can carry on eating and carry on eating and carry on eating, then that's not how the scholars explain it. The scholars explain it as if you're eating and the time comes in, you hear the adhan, and you still got something in your hand, you desire to finish it off, you can finish that bite off. It's not you hear the adhan instantly, you must stop. You can finish that bite off, you can finish that drink off. But it doesn't mean you can just sit down and carry on eating. That's not the explanation of the scholars on that. It's just finishing off what you have in your hand. Just you had a bite left and the (coughs) other starts. You could just finish that bite off, finish that drink off, and that's it. Well, if you wake up late, that's uh, not my problem. It's not anybody else's problem here either. That's your problem. the last portion is left and it was the juicy portion as well. That's it. No, if you wake up late, you, uh, you have a, a little bit of time left. Khalas, you eat in that little bit of time, but you cannot say, but I woke up late, I need to finish all of the, the, the meal that I had laid out from last night. I had a menu I was going to have for Suhoor. I got to get through it. You can't do that then. It's like uh, one brother, he said to me once, The night before, now after iftar, he said, I prepared my meal I was going to have for the suhoor. Prepared it, put it into the plate, everything organized, put it into the microwave, just left it there. In the morning, I'm just going to press start, and then I'm just going to have it. That night, this brother and us, we went traveling somewhere, and uh, we didn't get back till after suhoor. And all the way back, he was talking about his plate sat there in the microwave. His plate was ready. The meal was on it, all organized. He said it was there. I'm just going to press start, and then I'm going to eat it. And he didn't have it that day. We're going to have to round off on that then. So it's off now till after Eid. Eid is expected to be midweek on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or something like that. So more than likely that Saturday afterwards we're going to begin the classes again inshallah. June 6th, 7th, 8th or something, whatever it works out inshallah ta'ala.